Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. It was early on the morning of May 27, 2015, and strike teams of Swiss police working with U.S. law enforcement we're about to execute a secret raid on one of Zurich's most prestigious luxury hotels. In a shocking move, they arrested leaders of FIFA, the organization that runs world soccer. On Demand News picked up the story in the early hours of the day. FIFA is at the center of a fresh scandal today as six officials have been arrested over corruption charges. The police swept in just as these officials were gathering for a global FIFA Congress, which was scheduled to begin the next day. Not just me, but the whole world woke up to the news that the Swiss police force had arrested all these FIFA officials in a hotel in Zurich. They went in there at like six in the morning and went room to room of all these FIFA top officials and politely but firmly put them under arrest and took them out of the hotel. This is Ken Benzinger an investigative reporter whose work in the Wall Street Journal and the Los Angeles Times has made him a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. I think of myself as sort of an accountability journalist, and I cover a variety of things, including sports, politics, economics, business, a wide range of things. Soccer wasn't his normal beat in 2015, but Ken had been following the way that soccer administrators had been skimming money from the funds invested in soccer across North America an investigation that led him down quite a twisted path. And he wasn't the only news hound following the scent of corruption through the offices of soccer executives around the world. The Swiss raid was meant to be secret, but the police were joined at the Bauer Alak Hotel that morning by a host of reporters who were there to watch it all go down, cameras rolling. More or less in real time, the New York Times was pumping out stories about this and CNN was picking it up and BBC was picking it up and pretty much Almost within an hour, within 45 minutes, the entire hotel was swarmed by press. And no wonder. Soccer is the world's biggest sport. Some measures count 4 billion people as fans of the game. That's over half of humanity. So the news thundered around the globe. In Europe, in South America, it was like an explosion. It was like a bomb went off somewhere. Years of suspicion and rumors were finally giving way to something solid real legal action to prosecute the men, and the FIFA Executives Committee was only men, enriching themselves at the expense of the soccer faithful. One camera caught an image that became the defining symbol of the day. Hotel staff ran out of the door carrying a white sheet 
to hide the exit of a FIFA bigwig as he was bundled into an unmarked police car. It spawned headlines around the world about soccer's dirty laundry finally being aired. To long-suffering soccer fans, seeing FIFA leaders dragged from their beds was cause for celebration. The arrests were followed later in the day by a press conference in Washington, D.C., where U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch laid out the charges. The 47-count indictment against these individuals includes charges of racketeering, wire fraud, and money laundering conspiracies spanning two decades. All of these defendants abused the U.S. financial system and violated U.S. law. The chief investigator of the IRS delivered the most memorable lines of the day, even if his delivery didn't let anyone forget that he worked for the IRS. This really is the World Cup of fraud, and today we are issuing FIFA a red card. For one person watching from half a world away, this bombshell hit on a much deeper, more personal level. When the Attorney General of the United States and the head of the FBI gets up and says, you know, we're going after this, this is serious business, you do have enormous confidence. That's Bonita Merciatis. She was one of the few FIFA insiders who had dared to speak out years earlier against the kinds of backroom deals that were now being prosecuted on the world stage. Bonita worked on Australia's bid to host the World Cup. In 2009, she was fired from the bid team and from her role in Australia's Football Federation for pushing back against the patterns of bribery, fraud, and self-dealing that many critics call, quote, the FIFA way. It was almost as if some of the things that I had been saying and writing for the previous five years had got through somehow. With the leaders of the soccer world behind bars, was this finally a day of reckoning for FIFA that would clean up the sport for good? I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched, a show about the heat of competition and the cost of greatness, both on and off the Olympic stage. Today, we're sharing the story of Bonita Merciatis as she followed her passion for soccer into the corrupt command center of the business. We'll hear about what it looks like when a nation tries to win the right to host the World Cup and what gets sacrificed in the process. Along the way, Bonita's love for the game brought her into conflict with a culture of fraud and self-dealing that dominates the boardrooms of soccer federations around the world and undermines the integrity of the sport. We'll dig into the way corruption became common practice in soccer administration and look at how FIFA's worst excesses finally spurred a U.S. investigation that exposed the moral bankruptcy of the leaders entrusted to run the beautiful game. I've been involved in football my entire life because I grew up in the game. Like so many players and fans around the world, Bonita has had a lifelong devotion to soccer, or football, as it's known in so much of the English-speaking world. It might be a cliche to say that for some people, the sport is like a second religion. But in Bonita's case, that was just a fact. On Sundays, we'd go to Sunday school in the morning and soccer in the afternoon, and that was the day. And that carried her into her adulthood. Played it a little bit, you know, just as an amateur. And, you know, become a soccer mum. 
and did all the things like, you know, sizzle sausages, put up nets, manage teams, wash shirts, cut up oranges, all that sort of stuff. And over the years, Bonita went from managing small community games to managing the team for her entire country. I ended up working in the game in a couple of different ways. The first was as team manager of the Socceroos, the national men's team, and I worked with the Football Federation of Australia, now called Football Australia, as head of corporate and public affairs. So when Australia decided to bid for the World Cup, that put Bonita at the centre of plans to bring the tournament to their backyard. Like the Olympics, bidding to host the World Cup requires a massive cooperative effort. It takes buy-in from people across the host country, not just in the soccer world, but also beyond it. Teams and cities need to offer up their stadiums, and governments need to be on board too. For example, to prepare for the 2006 World Cup in Germany, Berlin planned for 5 million visitors, when the city only had 3.5 million residents. Public squares got makeovers, restaurants, bars and stages prepared for companion parties and music festivals. Transit rail lines prepared for round-the-clock service. And that was just one of Germany's 12 host cities. Berlin Stadium, originally built to host the 1936 Olympics, was renovated to the tune of nearly $300 million in preparation for the tournament. So Bonita's team needed to be sure they had the support of the Australian government if they were going to bring the World Cup down under. There was a federal election in 2007 and there was a lot of lobbying of both sides of the political fence on supporting the money that was needed. And I always remember we went to the then government and said, you know, how much are you able to support us with? And they told us. Then we went to the then opposition and they doubled it. So it's a bit of an auction, really. So both the party in power and their political challengers made promises to the soccer officials working to attract the World Cup to their nation. Whatever their party allegiance, Australia's political leaders saw the value of the World Cup. They wanted the credit for bringing it to their shores, and they also wanted the credibility. At the same time, Australia was running to get a seat on the UN Security Council. So I think the government saw that there were some synergies there in terms of reaching out to a whole lot of international parties and promoting brand Australia, if I could call it that. When Kevin Rudd won the election and became Prime Minister of Australia in 2007, his government followed through on the promise. Bonita says that within two months of coming into office, his administration announced that they were putting $46 million into the nation's bid to host the World Cup. But... If Bonita was excited to have Australia's government throw its weight behind her work, things weren't so rosy on the bid team itself. There was a team of executives like Bonita who added the bid onto their routine work for the Australian Soccer Federation. But the president and chairman of the federation decided they needed a little more help. The leaders of the bid team brought in outside consultants from the world of European soccer, including a man who had been the special advisor to FIFA's president. The goal, of course, was to have fixers in Europe who could help Australia bend the ears of soccer officials in Switzerland, despite Australia's distance from the FIFA headquarters in Zurich. That might not have raised red flags for Bonita, except she was discreetly told otherwise. Don't tell anyone that we've engaged these people. 
And if the government asks, don't tell them. And I thought, if alarm bells weren't ringing, alarm bells were ringing. From a straight communications perspective, for which I was responsible, if these guys were such wonderful, world-class consultants who were going to win us the World Cup bid, why wouldn't we tell the world that we had them on our side? But Bonita wasn't naive to the implications. It only spoke to one thing for me, that if we were keeping these guys secret, there was a reason for keeping them secret, and that was because what their real role was was to do deals and double deals and counter deals behind the scenes, which they didn't want anyone to know about. Bonita was concerned that the deals these consultants were arranging included bribes and payoffs to make FIFA executives vote Australia's way. That kind of corruption wasn't something Bonita wanted a hand in. It went against FIFA's stated rules, and in many cases, it broke national and international laws. Bonita was concerned that the consultants would turn Australia's honest bid, funded with public Australian money, into an international criminal conspiracy. It was better when the bid team and the government worked in tandem, such as July 2009, when Bonita accompanied the Prime Minister Rudd to Zurich, Switzerland, so that he could have a face-to-face meeting with the president of FIFA. The meeting was as much for the press as for any pressure that Kevin Rudd could put on the selection of Australia as the tournament host. There were carefully stage-managed stops throughout the day for Rudd to see the trophy, to kick a soccer ball, and do it all posing for the cameras. Rudd was brilliant. He's very, very good at those sorts of things. But as we were walking back through FIFA headquarters to have a discussion, Jerome Valk pulled me aside and said, you know you're not going to win it. Jerome Valk was FIFA's secretary general. A comment like that coming from him landed with real weight. And we said, what do you mean? He said, you can't match the US for television revenue. You're not going to win it. This wasn't how FIFA promised to make their selection at all. The tournament was supposed to be about showcasing the sport and supporting its growth in new regions. But the financial realities hid behind that mask. Whatever promises they made to the public, and despite technically being a nonprofit, the heads of FIFA were going to prioritize revenue over anything else. Later in the day, all of us got together and we said, well, what do we do about this? And my thoughts were, we'd be better off to make that information public and say, pull out and give the taxpayers back the money they hadn't spent. We're dealing with an organization like FIFA. The World Cup was their cash cow. When you've got the CEO of the organization saying, quite frankly, you're not going to win because you're not going to get enough revenue in, I I thought that was something we should have listened to. It would have saved a lot of money. It would have saved a lot of heartache. But the other members of Bonita's team weren't ready to give up on the bid, and neither were the consultants they were paying, who assured the Australian officials that the bid should go forward. They would succeed, and obviously, these consultants wanted to keep cashing checks from the Australian taxpayers. But the consultants were doing more than urging Australia to push on despite the warnings. They were also steering the bid team into murkier, more dangerous waters. The consultants advised us that the best thing to do was for us to have a strategic relationship with Russia and look at swapping votes with them. Our chairman said to me, we need to get closer to Russia. We need to find a way to have a chat with Russia. And we were doing things through government such as briefing our Prime Minister and our Foreign Minister who were then meeting 
going to UN meetings and stuff and talking to Sergei Lavrov and Medvedev, who was then the president, and saying, you know, we need to open these discussion points. And that's where Bonita saw the real dangers begin to rear their heads. Because from her position on the bid team, she knew that the consultants were operating in secret. They were doing things that they were hiding from the government, even as they were sending Australian officials into significant negotiations with Putin's government. Those negotiations could endanger their lives, undermine the World Cup bid, and possibly threaten Australia's national security. I was beginning to get more and more concerned. The consultants were going here, there and everywhere, and we would get no feedback about what they were doing, who they were talking to. I thought that they weren't particularly trustworthy. I thought that at the time that they were, and this is instinct at the time, that they were also working for other bidders. I later learned that they were. But even before Bonita would learn that the consultants were undermining the Australian bid and taking money from other nations, she wasn't quiet about her objections to their secretive methods. That just wasn't her style. She was dedicated to paper trails and keeping things in good order. So when she saw something she didn't like, she wrote to her team about it. And that included things she was asked to do herself. Like the time she was flying to meet a FIFA executive under orders to bring his wife a necklace. Bonita followed those orders, but she also kept records. And she sent an email back to the Australian team detailing exactly what she had done under their instruction. Buy jewelry for an influential FIFA leader who would be voting on the bid. The backlash against Bonita was harsh. The other executives on her team gave her a tongue lashing for putting a bribe on record. This was exactly the kind of thing that her bid team wanted to keep out of sight. And that was far from the only thing Bonita saw or did along the way that didn't sit right with her. Month after month, she made her concerns known. Eventually, Bonita found she had criticized the consultants one too many times. Being let go in some ways was a bit of a relief. It was really uncomfortable for my boss and for the chairman because I kept raising issues that was things that were, were not right and asking questions. And it got to the point where I guess it was, the decision was, it was either them or me. The team kept the consultants. Bonita was pushed out. The bid went forward. And in 2010, Bonita watched from home as the leaders of the Australian Football Federation made their way to the FIFA Congress, along with the other nations who had their hats in the ring, including England, Qatar, Russia, and the United States. The world leaders of soccer were about to decide on who would host the next two World Cups. Bidding on the World Cup isn't a one-and-done auction. It's a process that takes years. Countries put together a formal package of these big, thick notebooks of information with photos and stadium plans and many other things. And then FIFA runs these, what they call technical reviews, where they send people to these countries and have them check out the site and check out the weather and sort of the infrastructure available and, and all this and come up with their recommendation. FIFA's technical review criteria are extremely detailed. And for a nation's bid to be recommended to the FIFA's executive committee, these criteria have to be followed to a T. Not only do these rules lay out what the bidding nation needs to offer in terms of infrastructure, from stadiums to roads, buses, and hotels, 
there are also strict legal guidelines for the bidding nations to follow. And if those guidelines conflict with the bidding nation's own laws, then FIFA demands to come out on top. Basically, we were told that if you don't sign the government guarantees, don't even bother bidding. If we, FIFA, say this person's relevant to the World Cup, you let them in. Anyone associated with the tournament doesn't pay tax. If it seems strange to you that a tournament would require a loophole in the nation's laws where anyone can move any amount of money across borders tax-free, you're not the only one. When our Treasury officials first saw the government guarantees, I remember sitting across the table at a meeting in Canberra and they're reading the guarantees and they looked up at me and said, this is just a formula for money laundering. That first shock was eventually replaced by grudging consent as pressure to bring the World Cup to Australia for the first time outweighed reservations about opening a door for financial crimes. But even nations with a long soccer history who are more comfortable with the way FIFA does business had the same reaction. When the Dutch parliament saw the guarantees, they decided, no way, we're not signing this, and they published them and put them on their website, the Dutch parliament website. And FIFA was horrified, because FIFA doesn't like that sort of transparency. These rules were bad enough, but in 2010, the FIFA executive committee added another wrinkle to the game they asked bidding nations to play. There's a lot of things unusual about the, about the bidding process for those tournaments because for the first time ever, FIFA decided on two World Cups at the same time. Bonita says that for the Australian bid team, this process raised a whole set of questions that no bid team had ever had to answer before. Not only did they have to figure out whether their bid was viable, but they had to figure out which year to pursue. And after they had selected their target, then they faced the question, should they follow the rules and compete with the other nations, or should they break the rules and collude with the nations hoping to nab the second tournament? When the day finally came, they brought some answers. World leaders and celebrities descended on Zurich that December. The United States brought along Bill Clinton and Morgan Freeman to add last-minute star power to their appeals. From England, Prince William, David Beckham, and Prime Minister David Cameron arrived to put in the hard sell. So, they were all in attendance to be disappointed in person when the results were announced. So the 2018 FIFA World Cup, ladies and gentlemen, will be organized in Russia. Shall I recall the... Candidates, Australia, Japan, Korea, Qatar, United States of America. The winner to organize the 222 FIFA World Cup is Qatar. The selection of Qatar and Russia stunned the world, but not Bonita. It didn't surprise me that Qatar and Russia won. It was pretty clear looking at the geopolitics of what was going on in football at the time that Qatar was hanging in there. And Russia, I always thought, was going to win. There are a few things that Bonita could mean by the geopolitics of football at the time. One had to be the influence of Qatar in the French economy. That was made clear to the head of soccer in Europe, a legendary French player named Michel Platini, when he was called to the Elysee Palace for lunch just one month before the vote. Platini had been invited by the president of France, 
but when he walked into the room, he found they were going to be sharing their meal with a third man, the future emir of Qatar. We may never know exactly what was said in the meeting, but I think the inference was very strong that to help his country out, Platini should potentially offer his vote in favor of Qatar. The context of the meeting is that France is trying to enter in a deal with Qatar to buy a ton of airplanes uh, that are French-made and generate huge amounts of income for French companies. And it wasn't just jets. The emir was also considering the purchase of a French soccer club, the finalization of significant trade deals, and the sponsorship of the entire French league. The growth of professional French soccer and a massive slice of the French economy was at stake. The writer David Kahn has also noted that Platini's son was selected for an executive role at a company owned by the Qatari Investment Authority. Of course, Platini denied that it was connected to his vote. FIFA votes are cast in secret. Not that they stay that way. Platini himself has even admitted that in the end he did vote for Qatar and that he changed his mind after his lunch with the president of France. All of that brings us back to the guidelines handed out by FIFA to all of the bid teams, which include a list of prohibitions forbidding all sorts of bribery and corruption. Votes are not meant to be bought and sold. The guidelines, they're almost a sort of, on the face of it, they read fine, but they're almost a, a document which said, well, this is how you can win if you don't take any notice of our guidelines. And then what about those bid books? All the technical reviews and the official recommendations from FIFA's inspectors. The running joke is that that recommendation is submitted to FIFA's executive committee where it's immediately dropped into the circular file, never to be looked at again. Of all the dozen and a half countries that submitted for these two World Cups, Russia and Qatar were across the board the worst and second worst bids and were determined to be the only two sites that were actually technically unfeasible. Qatar and Russia, they said the infrastructure is bad, the weather is totally unfeasible. In the case of Qatar, there's many other challenges. They don't seem like good spots. But those objections were overruled by the committee, which had, I guess, a different set of advice to follow. By a different set of advice, Ken means cold, hard cash. Both Qatar and Russia were paying bribes to executive committee members to win their vote. One member alone, the vice president of FIFA, was accused of taking $5 million from Russia. Russia was also accused of offering a million-dollar bribe to a, another executive committee member who was from Guatemala. Qatar is accused of bribing three South American executive committee members to get their vote for Qatar to host the World Cup. So it seems pretty clear that money was being sloshed around and people were being given money for their vote. In Qatar's case, once they won the bid, then they actually had to build all the real infrastructure they would need to host the tournament. That came with an enormous cost, not just in money, but in human lives. In the years since 2010, story after story has emerged of migrant workers brought to Qatar from across South Asia and worked to death in slave-like conditions. Earlier this year, The Guardian calculated the number of fatalities among migrant workers in Qatar as over 6,500 since it was awarded the tournament in 2010. The Guardian investigation was published in February 2021, in the year before the tournament was scheduled. But it only looked at workers from a few countries. The real number of migrant workers to die on these projects is likely much higher. 
If FIFA operated by its own stated guidelines, Qatar would have never been eligible in the first place. But the willingness of voting members to sell their votes to the highest bidder led to a massive toll in human suffering. And the bid teams from Qatar and Russia weren't just paying the voting members to look the other way during technical reviews. They were also trading favors with each other. From oil and gas extraction swaps to working together so that Russia got all the votes for 2018 while Qatar got all the votes for 2022. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, essentially. And vote swapping is also not allowed under the FIFA ethics code, but that seems what they did. Before any of these details were public knowledge, cries for a criminal investigation were already growing, and they only got louder when the splashy public exposés kept highlighting FIFA's corruption in the years that followed. Take the 2011 FIFA presidential election. That was accompanied by scandalous press photos as it came to light that a longtime supporter of FIFA's president was attempting to run against him and handing out envelopes full of cash to voting members. To the reading public, this confirmed with visual evidence that offering bribes for votes was the FIFA way. The leaders in Switzerland saw the storm coming out over the horizon and they tried to get out ahead of it. They promised an investigation of their own, an official FIFA inquest that would prove that they were capable of cleaning up their own mess without any law enforcement getting involved. But the investigation fell far short of putting the matter to rest. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. There's no such thing as an independent investigation when the investigator is being paid by the organization he's investigating. That suspicion was enough to keep Bonita in Australia and away from the FIFA investigator, a former U.S. attorney named Michael Garcia. It was Garcia who was conducting the in-house cleanup job for the heads of global soccer. But of course, Bonita stood out to Garcia as a potential witness. 
She was one of the very few people who had taken a courageous stand and were fired in response. And she knew her detailed knowledge of the bidding process would be a powerful testimony against FIFA's corruption. Michael Garcia approached me and he wasn't going into this investigation as someone who was just going to do what he's told. You know, I tend to try to believe the best in all people, so I believed him. On the other side of the world, my good friend, the late Andrew Jennings, was saying to me, don't talk to him, don't talk to him, (laughs) and um, it's going to come to no good. Bonita was torn between fear for her safety and her love of the game, but FIFA's investigators eventually swayed her. They gave me some confidence that, that my anonymity would be guaranteed. And loving football and thinking, if this is going to help football, I should at least participate in it. And so that, in the end, I did. It wasn't an easy process either. They asked me to come to New York and um, I spent seven hours. It was the best part of a day talking to them about everything and offered them various documents that I had. I could trace who was in the room at the time, who said what, if it was particularly important, those sorts of things. And the anonymity? To Bonita, that was key. She knew that the investigation was going to turn into some kind of published report. And if it was clear that she was helping to expose bribes and financial crimes by extremely wealthy and powerful people, that wouldn't be taken lightly. A lot of those things that I mentioned to them at that time, they could put me in danger. It was also an exhausting time going through all of that material with him and a gentleman who was ex-FBI and a couple of other staff members of his law firm. It was strenuous and risky, but Bonita was never one to back down. I just wanted the truth to come out. And I wanted people to understand that, again, it gets back to the demonization, particularly of Qatar, less so of Russia, although I think more people now are understanding that Russia (laughs) has as much to answer for as Qatar. It wasn't just about Qatar, it was the environment set by FIFA. So I've left that meeting feeling as if I had done the right thing. But if Bonita was sticking her neck out to expose the truth and bring about change, the investigation wasn't putting in the same kind of effort. It's also important to note that Garcia was banned from entering Russia at the time, so he could not physically set foot in Russia, which in retrospect seems really important since one of the main parts of the investigation was Russia itself and what they did. Once Garcia's team decided they had checked the right boxes, the FIFA investigation did what Bonita expected. They published a report. In the end, it wasn't as damning as people had thought. People had come to the very reasonable conclusion that it was just a, uh, it was a whitewashing campaign and that FIFA never really intended for Garcia to find anything serious. But at least two people were exposed by the Garcia report. One was a woman who had worked for the Qatar bid who, like Bonita, had turned whistleblower and cooperated with the investigation. The other was Bonita herself. When the summary report was released and it was clear that the two whistleblowers had been hung out to dry, they talked about a whistleblower from Australia and a whistleblower who worked for the Qatar bid who was in the US. So it was absolutely clear to everybody who they were. It was clear that he was talking about me and it was devastating. That's the game Michael Garcia played. He got paid a large sum of money, reportedly over $10 million for that work. And he opted to play the game the FIFA way, discredit the two individuals who were being a problem for FIFA. 
Garcia eventually washed his hands of the investigation. He resigned in 2014, saying that a lack of leadership from FIFA undermined his efforts. And in the end, he said, quote, no independent governance committee, investigator, or arbitration panel can change the culture of an organization. But if statements like that didn't reconcile him to Bonita, it's no wonder. Bonita still feels the sting of being exposed because the attacks came just as she feared they would. In fact, the surveillance began soon after she was fired from the Australian Soccer Federation. I certainly was aware fairly early on after I left in 2010 that our house was being surveilled. You know, this is down suburban Sydney. I'm a suburban housewife. This doesn't happen. Um, But it did. And over time, things just got worse. Being exposed in the FIFA report put a target on Bonita's back. At the time, ran a sort of parenting website with a, a business partner, a friend of mine. It was hacked. I ran a football news website. It was hacked. Bonita says a denial of service attack hit the servers of her website so hard, they went down for four days. She believes the attacks were coming from Russian hackers, a direct result of being exposed in the FIFA report. But that wasn't the end of the online attacks. Once, while Bonita was flying home from a live confrontation with a FIFA official on German TV, the attacks escalated while she was in the air. Someone posing as Bonita set up a fake website in her name. It copied her blogs onto the site, and it asked her supporters to contribute money through an account that wasn't hers. More attempts at identity theft followed. It forced Bonita to go on a clean sweep of the internet, buying up websites in her name, even shutting down a fake Bitcoin account. It took me thousands and thousands of dollars and many weeks and a lot of heartache. Fighting these waves of attacks left Bonita exhausted. She wasn't able to pinpoint exactly where the attacks were coming from, but she believes that their source was FIFA. That showed me the absolute power and depth of FIFA trying to protect what their way of business was, the FIFA way, that they would go to any lengths. Bonita had crossed people, corporations, and governments who had the world to gain by maintaining the FIFA way. If global powers could spend millions, buy votes, they wouldn't hesitate to swat at those willing to expose their corruption. Organizations spend an awful lot of time trying to find out the source rather than dealing with the issues because when something's true, they can't deal with the issues, so they have to blame the source. Fortunately, over in the United States, a member of the FIFA Executive Committee had flipped under pressure from FBI investigators. The Americans had quietly been building their own case against FIFA, and their new mole was giving up everything they could hope for and more. The U.S. criminal investigation was started by the FBI, and this is a fact that will surprise many people, but it started in the summer of 2010. Originally, it started as an investigation by an FBI agent based in New York, who had recently been given the task of ferreting out Russian organized crime. But it didn't take him long to follow that trail into the world of soccer. When the FBI began to scrutinize the FIFA executive committee for themselves, they found a target close at hand, an American named Chuck Blazer. If there's one thing to know about Blazer, it's just how much he enjoyed his life as a FIFA Don. 
you're hanging out with kings and you're hanging out with presidents and you're hanging out with Nobel laureates, not to mention really famous soccer players and coaches. You can go to any sporting event you care to in the world because of the influence of FIFA. If you want to go to the Olympics and sit in the best seats, you can. If you want to go to the Super Bowl, that's not a problem. Like all these things are just opened up to you. Like the whole world turns into a supplicant because they want <laughs> they want whatever you can provide them and in, in your with your vote in FIFA. Blazer didn't have any trouble figuring out what to do with all this money, though. He turned it around and bought real estate. Yes, for himself, but also for his closest friends. Take the apartment he rented in Trump Tower. It was mostly for his cats. That was the line that got the most laughs in the years after Blazer's lifestyle was finally exposed. The most important fact, though, was a little more mundane. Because all these years that he was shuffling money into offshore accounts, Blazer hadn't been paying his taxes. And that's where the FBI came in. Once they had teamed up with the IRS, of course. A funny thing happens, which is that an IRS agent in Southern California, who is um, considered one of the best IRS agents in the country and also is a huge, huge soccer fan, happens in his Google alerts and on his news feed to come across an article about Chuck Blazer and his ill-gotten financial gains. He then uses the power that IRS agents have, which other law enforcement don't have, which is to pull up that person's tax file. And what he saw told him that Chuck Blazer could be facing serious prison time. Unless, that is, he agreed to cooperate with a federal investigation into corruption in world soccer. They sort of give him that, you know, we can make this easier, we can make this hard, it's your choice sort of speech. And Blazer folds and flips. In their interviews, Blazer started to give the FBI everything they needed to know. He becomes like the, the gift that never stops giving. And what they realize at this point is that there's so much more to this case than they had imagined because they thought it would focus only on basically, you know, Russia's attempt to win the World Cup and maybe Qatar's attempt to win the World Cup. But they had no idea how deep the culture of bribery was in, in world soccer. And by the time they finished their second or third meeting with him, they realized this case is massive. By the 2012 Olympics in London, the FBI had Blazer wearing a wire. There's another event they think is going to be really important for this, which is the London Olympics. And the reason that's important is because of the slightly symbiotic relationship between FIFA and, and the International Olympic Committee. They tend to code each other's events. And other than the World Cup itself, there's no bigger draw for high FIFA mucky mucks than the Olympics. He traveled from meeting to meeting, throwing his keys down on the table and asking his compatriots to talk with him about all the bribes they've been paid. The key fob was bugged, of course, but most of the sports officials weren't fooled. He spends about a week or 10 days going to meetings with different people in the world of FIFA and trying to get them to say naughty stuff on tape. So Blazer came up dry from the Olympics. But then the FBI and Blazer pulled a double move on the head of a Brazilian sports marketing company who had been bribing soccer officials around the world for decades. First, Blazer called him on the phone and asked him if he knew if there was an American investigation into corruption. That put him on edge. Second, the FBI sent agents to confront him face to face. They told him he was a target. That left him fully spooked. He like went right to his hotel room and called up Chuck Blazer and asked him if he knew what was going on. And Blazer told him that he was really worried because he'd been approached by the FBI. The trap was sprung. 
and this unsuspecting target gave up everything he knew right into Blazer's bugged phone line. Well, whatever you do, don't tell them anything. Don't tell them about all the bribes we've paid. Don't tell them this, that, and the other thing. With this itemized confession on tape, the FBI pulled the suspect in. At that moment, they got themselves fully into the bloodstream of world soccer, the money that flows through sports marketing firms, the business deals to sell broadcast TV and sponsorship rights, or what really fund the sport. Introduces what some would call the FIFA way into this, which is he realizes that it's, it's convenient for him to bribe important FIFA officials to ensure that they don't sell to anybody else and that they give them a great deal on the rights. So it's an explosion of revenue for FIFA, but not as much as it could be because the top executives are lining, top officials are lining their pockets for the bribes. So FIFA's general secretary was being completely honest when he said to Bonita that what really decides who is going to host the World Cup aren't the idealistic goals stated in the FIFA's guidelines. It's not about spreading the sport around the world, and it's not about showcasing the most deserving hosts. It's about money. For the committee members, it's about who will pay the highest price for a vote and the highest price for the right to broadcast the spectacle. This isn't about Qatar. This isn't about Russia. This is about the bidding environment set by FIFA and the way FIFA does its business. It's not in the best interests of football. It's generally in the best interests of individuals associated with football. When the arrests came in 2015, they were stunning to Bonita in a way that the corrupt selection of Russia and Qatar wasn't. At long last, there were some real consequences for doing business the FIFA way. I had spent the previous five years trying to say to anyone who would listen that FIFA was not a normal organisation. And so to see that happen, there was a sense of relief, joy, vindication, and finally a hope that football might be put onto the right pathway that some of the millions and millions of dollars that had been ripped out of the system would be returned to the people who deserve to have the money spent on them. I still enjoy watching football. And I've said it before, if you enjoy the game, you have to divorce yourself from how the game is run. The heart of the sport isn't in the concrete palaces and luxury hotels of Zurich. I think watching little kids play is actually the best thing that you can do when you feel down about football is go and find a little kids game, and I'm talking under fives or something or under sixes, and they all run around like bees to a honeypot, you know, but they're having the best time, and that's good. That, that's what it should be. But did all of this, the investigations, the reports, the arrests, bring about any real change at FIFA? On one level, the answer is yes. FIFA immediately institutes changes to the voting system. The executive committee that selects the World Cup, it was restructured and rebranded. They changed the executive committee to an executive council. They increased the membership of that to 30 and also passed a rule that at least one woman must be on the committee at all times. There'd never been a female member of this group before. Requiring only one woman to the executive committee is about as low a standard as you can get. The fact that it was a significant change for FIFA, that goes to show just how tightly closed their world is. Even more importantly though, while that executive council still makes important decisions for the governance of world soccer, 
there's one thing they don't do. They announced that they're going to take the power to choose the World Cup away from this committee and move it to the General Assembly. Now the choice of who would host the World Cup wasn't going to be decided by only 24 men. Instead, that crucial selection would be made by over 200 delegates from FIFA's member nations. And FIFA has made commitments to change. We reached out to FIFA for a comment, and a spokesperson responded with the following statement. FIFA supports all investigations into alleged acts of criminal wrongdoings regarding either domestic or international football competitions and will continue to provide full cooperation to law enforcement officials investigating such matters. They also said that, quote, FIFA has itself been accorded victim status in the U.S. criminal proceedings and that since 2016, they have consistently improved its governance and compliance standards also when it comes to transparency and fairness of its commercial agreements. Not that Ken Benzinger agrees. At the same time, FIFA is not opening itself up in terms of transparency. In fact, it's passing rules that prohibit transparency, that punish FIFA officials for talking about problems at FIFA and that reject oh, any outside oversight of any kind. So even as FIFA is talking about changing itself to be more open, it is in fact making itself more closed. And from her vantage, Bonita sees the same thing as Ken. Things are just as they have been, a little bit glossier, some more PR around it. Things look pretty. Financially, FIFA's doing extraordinarily well. So I don't see that things will change. As of this recording, the 2022 World Cup will still be played in Qatar. Should it be moved? Cancelled? Not according to FIFA. There's just too much money on the line. A lot of the big sponsors said, yeah, I don't love this, but this is just too lucrative for us. But if soccer officials are playing nice with Qatar to keep the money coming in, some teams and players have taken a stand against the human rights abuses that followed from the corruption of the bidding process. The national teams of Germany, the Netherlands, and Norway have all mustered up the courage to protest on the field during qualifying matches for the tournament. Bonita says she hopes that some teams who have qualified to play will even find the spine to boycott the World Cup altogether. Legendary soccer players and coaches have made it clear just how bitter it will be to see the games played in Qatar, since we know that thousands of migrant workers have died, constructing the infrastructure for the tournament. Those deaths are exactly the sort of thing that the FIFA policy should rule out, if FIFA were making their selections based on merit. Louis van Gaal, head coach of the Dutch team, with a lifetime of accomplishments behind him, called the selection of Qatar a ridiculous decision justified by, in his words, plenty of bullshit. The president of the Norwegian Football Association, Lisa Klavanis, was even more pointed in a speech that she gave to a gathering of FIFA leaders in March of 2022, eight months before the tournament was set to begin. There is no room for employers who do not secure the freedom and safety of World Cup workers. No room for leaders that cannot host the women's game. No room for hosts that cannot legally guarantee the safety and respect of LGBTQ plus people coming to this theater of dreams. Though she didn't name them, it was clear that Qatar was on the sharp end of her remarks. Clavinus played in two World Cups for Norway before her career as a lawyer and a judge. Achievements that elevated her to the position of president of the Norwegian Football Federation. When FIFA met in March of 2022 to sort out the teams for the upcoming World Cup in Qatar, Lisa took the podium and condemned what Bonita 
and so many others have called the FIFA way. And she called for the future of FIFA to not be just a rebrand, but a true renovation. I fear our stadiums will be empty in the future if we overlook the urgency of the current moment. And the time to act is now. FIFA, all of us must do what we are tasked to do, to lead, to have sustainable values govern every decision, truly implement transparency, zero tolerance towards corruption, accelerate the growth of the women's game. FIFA must set the tone and lead. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Carl Nellis, Nikki Stein, and Kelsey Albright. It was written by Carl Nellis, additional story editing from James Boo, editing and scoring from Ben Chug, Tori Smith is our associate producer, Olivia Canny is our production assistant. Technical Direction and Engineering by Nick Dooley. Original Music by James Lavino. Special thanks to Allison Cohen and Matt Eisenstadt. Next time on Torched, we're talking about the complicated history of the French national soccer team and how their team dynamics have been representative of all of France. I think it felt to a lot of people like this is a world team and seeing all of these different groups together was powerful. That's next time on Torched. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'll see you next time. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.